Welcome again, everybody. I'm Christy Kerr. My husband, Jeff, and I are the pastors here. If you're new here and we haven't had a chance to meet you, we'd love to talk to you after service and get to know you a little better. Um, we are continuing on in a, ser- a series on Exodus. And some of you are like, are we still there? We're still in Exodus. It's a long book, guys. Uh, just maybe one more week after this one. Um, but we have been going through the book of Exodus, talking about this time in Israel's history, this time in our Bibles where the Lord was doing this special work with his people. He had brought them out of slavery in Egypt, and then they're out in the wilderness. And so if you want to turn in your Bibles today, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 35. So we're almost to the end, I promise. Although, are you starting to think we're like parents that are like, we're almost there. We're almost there. And yet we're not really almost there. I don't know. Okay. Wow. You guys, you guys awake today? How you doing? How's everybody doing? Okay, good. All right. Just making sure you're with me. All right. So in Exodus chapter 25, A few chapters back from where we're starting today, as Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to meet with God, he's given the law, which are the Ten Commandments, but he's also given instructions for something that is going to be very important to the children of Israel from this moment on. God gives instructions here for the building of the tabernacle, and that's what I want to talk about today. We're going to talk about the tabernacle. So... God gave them very specific instructions that they were going to build this structure. They were going to build their church building. They were going to build the place that was going to be where they worshiped God. Now, God gave all of these instructions. But then you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about God uh, says to Moses, "Um, hi, we're in the middle of this really important download, but you need to go back down there. The people have made an idol. They have gone off the rail. So Moses goes down. He breaks the Ten Commandments. The people uh, go into a time of repentance. So there's like a big pause on this moment when the tabernacle is going to get built. And everything that we talked about two weeks ago about the golden calf and the repentance and then the new covenant coming, that all happens. And then the Lord says, okay, let's try this again. Go back up the mountain. I'm going to give you the Ten Commandments again, and I'm also going to give you more instructions about building the tabernacle. So the Lord comes right back to these plans. Now, the tabernacle was going to be very important. It was a place where the presence of God was going to reside. It was the place where their spiritual business would be conducted. So anytime they were had some spiritual things that were going to happen, it was going to happen inside this building, inside the tabernacle. It was the place where people could bring their offerings and sacrifices. Because you'll remember, at this time, there were rituals and sacrifices that had to be made. And it was all going to be done within the confinements of this building, this tabernacle. The tabernacle was important part of how they were going to practice their faith. So God lays out this very specific plan for building the tabernacle. He tells them how it should be constructed. He tells them what materials should be used and even the measurements as to how everything is supposed to be set up, like incredibly specific details about how the tabernacle should be built. So can you imagine if before we came and finished this building, Jeff went on a prayer retreat and then he came back and said, okay, the Lord has said that we need to make the stage curtains out of a polyester blend with this much polyester and this much cotton and they need to be this tall and the hem needs to be this big. That's how specific we're talking, right? That is what the kind of instructions were happening with the tabernacle. Now, there were very instruction plans. So if you want some interesting reading this week, you can look from Exodus 25 to Exodus 32 in your Bible. 
All of those chapters are going to tell you every tiny little detail about the tabernacle. It's going to tell you the measurements. It's going to tell you the materials. It's going to tell you how they should make it, how it should formed, how it should be crafted. It is an interesting read for sure. But if you have a study Bible like I do, I love it because it actually had some graphics in there and explained some of these things. But why was God so specific about all those things, right? Why does it matter? Why does it matter where, how everything's laid out, right? Why does it matter? Well, the tabernacle, God gave specific instructions because it contained tons of symbolism, right? What is symbolism? It's the use of a symbol or object to re- represent a quality or an idea. Now, I have a symbol of my wedding ring here. Now, if you found this somewhere, you would be like, oh, that might, that's nice, but it wouldn't mean anything to you, but it means something to me. I wear it because it symbolizes something to me. When I look at it, it reminds me of my commitment to Jeff. It reminds me of our commitment to each other. It reminds me of the grungy boy with the ripped jeans and the flannel shirt in college who is like, hey, you want to go out sometime? I remember all those things that happened then, right? It reminds reminds me um, of the guy in the Doc Martens, right? It reminds me of those moments in my life. I wear this because it symbolizes something important to me. And when I look at it, I remember something meaningful. And that is the reason that the Lord was so specific about the instructions of the tabernacle. Every single little detail symbolized something about the character of God and his relationship with his people. The altar where they would make sacrifices symbolized that sin could only be removed through death. The wash basins where the priests would come in and they would have to cleanse themselves symbolized that in order to be in the presence of God, someone must be cleansed and clean. The lampstands that were there represented that in a world full of darkness, we are to walk in the light of God. The table that held freshly baked bread every single day would remind them that God was always going to provide everything that they would ever need. And the incense that burned, it represented prayers that were to be constantly rising from the hearts of the people to God. And the curtain that separated the people from the Ark of the Covenant where God's presence would rest, it reminded the people that God was perfectly holy And could not be approached by unholy people. And all of this symbolism was teaching them something about the character of God and their relationship with him. And all of this symbolism was pointing to Jesus. It was all pointing to the Messiah. Who when he came and shed his blood, he would fulfill every requirement symbolized in the tabernacle for you and me. So God is a great teacher. And even right then, as he was just putting together their everyday routine, he was beginning the process of teaching them, even at this very moment, that they would need a Messiah who would shed his blood, who would bring light, who would cleanse them from their sins, who would open the curtain so that they could be in right relationship with with God. Even now, even all the way back in the tabernacle with Moses and the children of Israel, he was setting up Jesus. He was setting up our Messiah who was going to come and fulfill every single one of these requirements. Okay, so that's a little background on the tabernacle. 
So God gives Moses all of these instructions regarding the plans for the temple, and then the work is ready to begin. So open up to Exodus 35. We're going to start in verse 4. <coughs> then Moses said to the whole community of Israel, This is what the Lord has commanded. Take a sacred offering for the Lord. Let those with generous hearts present the following gifts to the Lord. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat hair for cloth, tanned ran skins and fine goatskin leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and the fragrant incense, onyx stones and other gemstones to be set in the ephod and the priest's chest piece. God gave them a shopping list. This is what you're going to need. He laid out everything that was going to be needed to build the tabernacle and make it function. Now, this is what was needed. How were they going to get these supplies? There was no Home Depot for them to run over and get their things that they needed. There was no store for them to go to. How were they going to get all of the supplies needed to create the tabernacle? We'll look at verse 4 and 5. Or uh, Yeah, 4 and 5. Then Moses said to the whole community of Israel, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take a sacred offering for the Lord. Let those with generous hearts present the following gifts to the Lord. Where were they going to get the supplies that they needed? From the people. Moses brought the need before the people, and then they provided what was needed to build the tabernacle. Look at verse 20. So the whole community of Israel left Moses and returned to their tents. All whose hearts were stirred and whose spirits were moved came and brought their sacred offerings to the Lord. They brought all the materials needed for the tabernacle, for the performance of its rituals and for the sacred garments. Both men and women came, all whose hearts were willing. They brought to the Lord their offerings of gold, brooches, earrings, rings from their fingers, and necklaces. They presented gold objects of every kind as a special offering to the Lord. All those who owned the following items willingly brought them blue, purple, scarlet thread, fine linen, and goat hair for cloth, and tanned ramskins and fine goatskin leather. And all who had silver and bronze objects gave them as a sacred offering to the Lord. And those who had acacia wood brought it for the use in this project. What was needed for the function of the tabernacle was provided by the people. You know what was absolutely crazy to me as I was studying this week? This is exactly still how the church functions. Did you know that? This is still exactly how the church functions. Now, I know people get uneasy when churches talk about money, and there are valid reasons for that, and I know people get frustrated when the church asks them to help, and when they ask them to serve, and they ask them to work, and they ask them to give, and sometimes people are like, oh, every time I go, they're asking for something. But the heart of how the church is built is this concept right here. The needs for the function of the church are provided by the church. I'm going to say that again. The needs for the function of the church are provided by the church. And it is still that way today. Guess what? There is nobody else coming to teach our preschoolers other than us. Right? There is no one coming to clean up other than us. If we want to do more service in our community, 
We all have to show up and do the thing to do the service to our community. If we want to have discipleship classes for our elementary students, it only works if we have people who are willing to come and teach and lead and prepare and get things ready. The function of the church only happens by the church. And there is no monetary source funding Homestead other than the people of Homestead. There's just no big pot of money out there that eventually keeps, you know, jumping on our heads. If we have money to pay the salaries of staff members, it's because the people of this church have generously, regularly given and provided the funds that then we can use to pay our team. If we have funds to do outreaches, to put on events, to do all kinds of stuff, it's only because the people of this church have generously given to provide the resources for us to be able to host that event. And if we have money to give to missionaries and to support them monthly and to help fund their projects and to give to benevolence requests when people call and say, I'm, I need help paying my heating bill this month. I need help with that. When we give those funds out as a church, it only happens because you, as the people of Homestead, have given generously to provide those funds. Now, I hope this helps you understand the heart of why churches take offerings. Because I think sometimes we don't really understand that. We come and we're a part of it, but we don't really understand the function of how it all works. We just think, well, the church has money, but where does that money come from? It comes from the church. And the church loves to do stuff. Man, I wish the church had this class. I wish the church offered this for my kids. I wish the church had this. That only happens when we all step up and volunteer to make those things happen. Does that work? You all hear what I'm saying today? Okay. The, the reality is we can only function at the level of which our people are generous and serving. That's the only level at which we can function. Now, hear me clearly. We, the pastors and the staff and the elders of this church, have a very deep responsibility to steward those things properly. We really want to make sure we're not burning out volunteers. Well, just come serve again. Come just keep going. And you're all like, I've had a week off forever and ever. We steward that well, and let me tell you specifically, financially, we are incredibly diligent in how we handle those funds and resources. We are conservative in our budget projections, and we stay within budgets for our departments. We sit down and we look at what we've got and what we've spent and how to best use those funds. Uh, we have protocols and safeguards in place to make sure that the resources we have are used with integrity and honor. And we do our very best to stretch those funds as much as we can, as far as they can go, and to be wise about how we use them. Anytime I go into a store before I'm going to buy something for the church, I always, I've done this for 25 years. Lord, I need good deals today. This is Jesus' money. This is Jesus' money, and I need this to go far. And you know what? I always find some kind of a good deal because I think the Lord really honors that prayer. But the reality is we can only be wise and creative with whatever funds come to us. That is the level of what we're able to do. Now, this message today is not some kind of guilt trip because we need more money today. I don't have a project in mind. I'm not trying to sell, upsell you on something. Actually, our giving has been great and really good, especially over COVID, and especially compared to other churches that we know that have been struggling. The finances of Homestead are good. This is not a guilt trip or a fear thing. My point is this. 
we all have to keep in mind that whatever we want to do as a church to grow and affect our community has to be resourced and staffed by us. Amen? Okay. Anything that we want to do, as we're looking ahead, how do we want to grow? What do we want to offer? What do we want to provide? We have to have that. There is no other source of income for this church other than this church. If we could all get this mindset and feeling, instead of feeling begrudging, like, oh, they're always asking for money, or if instead we can think, instead of that, think, this community is important to me. It's helping me grow in my faith. It's helping my kids learn about God. It's helping our neighbors and friends hear about Jesus, and it's promoting the spreading of the gospel around the world, and I'm a part of it. And so I'm going to do my part to make sure that this work keeps going forward. If we made that shift, I think it would change a lot of things. I think it would change our viewpoint. And might I be as bold as to say this today? Our staff is phenomenal. We have, can we just give a hand to our staff? I mean, we, our team here is phenomenal. And we've been talking a lot as a staff and a team about how we're going to do the fall. Now, if you look around, we're kind of full in here. Other Sundays have been even more full. And this is the middle of the summer. This is when people don't come to church, <laughs> right? That's the little pastor secret. Things are going to get crazy this fall, and so we're going to go to three services, and we're adding our midweek discipleship for kids and adults and youth back in. We've been talking a lot about our staff, and I don't know if you know this, but all our staff are part-time. Jeff is the only full-time employee at Homestead. All of our other staff work other jobs to help supplement their income. Shout out to Restoration Carpet Cleaning right there for all your carpet cleaning needs. But listen, as the church grows and the responsibilities on these leaders grow, we want to be able to get to the point where they can be working full-time here and they don't all have to work other jobs. But that can only happen as our giving grows. And let me say this, salaries can only be promised when giving is consistent, right? So a little bit in the offering here and there is awesome, but we can't make budgetary decisions based on that. So if you're in, we need you to be consistent in your giving so that we can continue to pay our staff. So there are two things that I want us to take away from this story today. Number one is this. The people gave what resources they had. The people gave what resources they had. Now, Moses came out and he said, hey, I need this. I need thread. I need linen, I need wool, I need wood, I need gold, I need bronze. And so the people just said, okay. And they all ran back to their tents and they started going through to see whatever they would have. And if they had purple linen, they brought purple linen. If they had wood, they brought wood. If they had gold, they brought gold. They didn't all give the same thing. They gave what was within their hands to give. So what that means for us is this. Not everyone is going to give the same amount. But it doesn't mean that everyone can't contribute to our community at the way that you are able, in the level that you are able, to be able to give and share what you have. I work at North Central University, and we, we get donations all the time for different things. And I have one uh, check that we have framed on a wall, and it's, it's from a woman named Ethel. 
And Ethel sent this check to North Central, and it was for $5. And the reason I kept it is because her hands are shaky. The writing is really shaky where she signed her check. But she said on there, I know it's not much, but I just wanted you to know I believe in what you're doing. And that check means more to us than any big donation because it's just a symbol that she gave what she had. She gave what little it was to her, but it was symbolic of the fact that I'm in. I'm in for this thing. I can't give a huge gift, but I'm going to give what I can to give. And for all of us, our level of giving is going to be different, but God asks us to give what we have to give. 2 Corinthians 8, 11 through 14 says this. Paul is talking to the church in Corinth when he writes them a letter, and he says this. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving, given proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now, you have plenty, and you can help those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. If all of us give what we have, then we can make this thing work. This is the beautiful thing about a community. We all can simply bring what is in our hands to bring. And when we pull all of these resources together, we can do something phenomenal. So number one, the people gave what resources they had to give. Number two, the people gave whatever skills they had to give. Look at Exodus 35, 25 through 29. All the women who were skilled in sewing and spinning prepared blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine linen cloth. All the women who were willing to use their skills to spin their goat hair into yarn. The leaders brought onyx stones and the special gemstones to be set in the ephod and the priest's chest piece. They also brought spices and olive oil for the light, the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense. So the people of Israel, every man and woman who was eager to help in the work the Lord had given them through Moses, brought their gifts and gave them freely to the Lord. The people who were eager to help in the work gave what the Lord had given them to give. This is one of my favorite things about church. This beautiful idea of a community who all comes together and works together to build something that is so important. Now, this is actually part of why we named our church what we name our church. I was reading, when Jeff and I had decided to plant a church, we were like, what are we going to name it? What are we going to name it? And we had this growing list for a long time. And then I was reading a novel one day, and it was one of those kind of like old school novels. And it was these people went out, and they bought a homestead. And what that was was a family came together, and they bought a big piece of land, and then Grum and Grandpa built a house over here, and Aunt and Uncle built a house over here, and another family over here, and another family over here. And they all worked together to build something bigger. So the, the, the men would all go out and work on the fields, and the women would work on the garden, and then they'd teach the children. And then at one point, the kids would be sitting with Grandma, and they'd be snapping beans together. And it was this idea of a community of all ages working together to work the land, to provide everything that they needed, everybody doing their part. And as we had been talking about the vision for what we wanted this church to be like, this fit perfectly 
a homestead where we all come together and we work together to build something really phenomenal. But it only worked as everyone did their part, right? And that is how church works. It doesn't work if everyone doesn't contribute. Now, most statistics will tell us that 20% of your church give all the money and serve as all the volunteers. 20% of the people in your church will do all the work and give all the resources. So that means 80% don't serve and don't give. Now, listen, if you are in a season where that's a reality, that's okay. You know, sometimes people come here after a season of hurt or burnout or personal struggle, and they just need to kind of sit down and rest and recover and be loved, and that is totally fine, right? Uh, Sometimes on the farm or the old homestead, someone just needed to do some recovery, and everyone else just kind of took care of them for a while. Hey, you know, it's okay. You just go rest. We'll pick up the slack. We'll make sure that we have everything covered. That's also a part of being a family, right? Sometimes you just got to do a little more, and you got to give somebody a break. But after that time is done and it goes on and on and on and Uncle Jesse is still living on the homestead, but he's not contributing anything to the homestead. Let me tell you, Grandpa Dwayne is going to go and have a talk with Uncle Jesse, right? (laughs) At some point, at some point, we need you to get in there. You got to get back and you work and listen, we need you. We need you to help We need you to take whatever skills you have to help us build this thing. Here is another homestead philosophy. We're giving you some inside sights to things that we really believe as a church. We are not planning on hiring people to fill every position at this church. Now, that is the case. A lot of churches do that. They hire all their musicians. They hire their child care workers. Every big project is outsourced, and someone comes in and takes care of that. We are super old school when it comes to this. We believe in Ephesians 4.12 when it says that a pastor's job is to equip God's people to do the work of the ministry and to build up the church. So our staff are here to help you do the work. They're here to train you. They are here to organize your departments. They are here to help you grow in your faith so you can lead a small group and you can pray with a teenager and you can help make this church grow. But we're not planning on hiring everybody for every little job. We believe that is the function of us as the church to all get in there and help serve. So we're going to three services in the fall because this room is full. And our staff, if I'm honest, they keep giving this look, us this look like they're just a little terrified out of their minds. How are we going to staff all these positions? How are we going to find enough ushers? How are we going to get all those rooms done? How are we going to, and I keep telling them, I promise the people are going to step up. I promise. So y'all don't make me a liar. Because I keep saying, it's okay. It's okay. Everybody's going to chip in. It's going to be all right. We're going to have enough help. God is growing this church, and he always provides just the right people with the right gifts and the right attitude and everything we're going to need. But we are going to need your help. Now, listen, this isn't about guilt tripping anyone. This is about are you in? Are you in for this thing? If you are, then we need you. We need your help. So the people brought their resources. The second thing is the people brought what skills they had. And finally, number three, I want us to remember this today. The Spirit of God empowers our skills in order to build his church. 
Because some of you thinking today, I'm willing, but I just don't know if I could ever teach a class of preschoolers. I'm willing, but I don't know if I could ever pray for somebody. I'm, I'm willing, but I don't know. Let me tell you this. God takes what we bring. He takes our skills. He takes our offerings. And the Spirit of God comes and empowers us to do the work. Look at verse 30. Then Moses told the people of Israel, the Lord had specifically chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Hur of the tribe of Judah. The Lord has filled Bezalel with the spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He is a master craftsman, expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. He is skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and in carving wood. He is a master at every craft. And the Lord has given him both Oliabab, son of, I don't know how you say it, and the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach their skills to others. The Lord has given them special skills as engravers, designers, embroiders, in blue, purple, and scarlet thread on fine linen cloth and weavers. They excel as craftsmen and designers. I cannot tell you how much it thrills my heart to see people serving in the church and discovering the absolute thrill of seeing their God-given talents and abilities used to do something significant for the kingdom of God. God has given every single one of you abilities. Now, most of us don't think of our abilities as God-given. We think, I just, this is just what I do. This is just what I do. Big Bad Brad over here teaches shop, right? But Big Bad Brad was my first phone call when I needed a cross made. So he might not think, well, I just, I just know how to work with wood. Except when those gifts are surrendered to the Lord and given to the use of our community and our body, there's always a place to use your gifts and your talents. And listen, I know this is true that many of us disqualify our gifts because th we think they have to be outward facing. We think they have to be preaching. We think it has to be singing or something like that, that those are real ministry gifts, the ones where you're standing in front of somebody. But that is not true. And we see this in scripture. This scripture is highlighting Bezalel, who was filled with the spirit. God gave him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in craftsmanship in building stuff, in designing stuff. This wasn't a great preacher. He worked with wood and engraving and other crafts. But his work, it says, was fueled by the Spirit of God. And then it says he had special skill to not only do the work, but then to teach others how to do the work. This was a God-infused, anointed ministry of working with wood. And don't discount what your natural talent and ability is because the Spirit of God will come and infuse what your natural talent is. Maybe you're a teacher. Maybe you like to make things. Maybe you like to create things. Maybe you like to organize things. God bless you if you like to organize things. That is a special. Carrie is saving my life right now with the carnival because she goes, I just really like to organize things. And I'm like, I like to not organize things. And so she's just come alongside of me and is helping keep everything under control. God will take whatever skill you have and infuse it with the Holy Spirit so that you can do the work of the kingdom. 
when you bring your natural talents and offer them to the Lord, I'm telling you, there is this supernatural exchange that happens and you will feel something incredibly significant and important. I can always tell the moment, I've been walking with the Lord for a long time, but I've learned as the older I get, I can always tell the moment when I move from, I have an idea, and I think it's just my natural skill set, and when the Spirit of God infuses it with something, that's when it gets special. That's when I'm like, oh, okay, oh, we could do that. Oh, I could make that. Oh, right? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Is that just me? Thank you, Jeanette. (laughs) My creative people over there. There's always a moment when the Spirit of God gives you insight you wouldn't have known otherwise. He gives you creativity when you know otherwise. And the older I get, people will go, where do you come up with your ideas? I know none of my ideas really are all that great. But when the Spirit of God goes and whispers something in my ear like, what if we did this? Then I'm like, yes, then we could do that. And that is the difference when we learn to take our skills that are God-given natural talents that everybody has, the world has. But when we have the spirit of God in us, infusing those skills with life and creativity and the anointing of the presence of God, man, that is a deal breaker. I was thinking of the people in this church who have brought their very natural gifts and talents and offered them to Christ to make a difference. Paul Johns is serving in the nursery today, so he is multifaceted. But Paul Johns is an engineer. So probably thinking... I don't know that I'll ever use my engineering skills at the church. Oh, welcome to Homestead, Paul Johns, because one day I saw him and I said, Paul, I have an idea. I need a slide that goes from this window out to the cars of children. I need you to make me a slide so at Christmas time we can have Santa drop bags and they shoot into kids' cars. And he looked at me like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, a slide. I need a slide from the second story window into somebody's car. And he was like, okay. And the next time I saw him, he, had, he pulls out his graph paper. I think I figured it out. And wouldn't you know, in this December, 450 kids came through and drove out here, and we shot gift bags down through a slide right into their car. And that only happened because Paul Johns is an engineer. And he knew how to figure out how to make that happen. I think of Darren Montgomery, who is a banker, very godly banker. But Darren came on our board and started looking at our finances and interest rates and everything where my brain starts going mush, 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 mush. And he said, I think we could save money on this and this interest rate and this. He's like, I'm going to make a few phone calls. And next time he came back, we were saving all this money. And we're all like, yay for Darren Montgomery, knowing how to do banking stuff, right? He took his very um, legitimate skill, and he allowed God to use it. And he has been an incredible blessing to our board because of the incredible wisdom that he has with finance and banking and knowing how to get the most for our money. And we're so grateful for him. I think about Daryl and Penny, who are literally downstairs in our littles room. They have literally brought their grandparent nests to our church. They serve with our preschoolers like it is their very own kids. They are in there, and they are loving the kids, and they're down on their knees, and the ones that come in that are scared, they pray with them. And then during the week, they'll send prayer requests. Can't you just pray for little Johnny? He's just having a hard time coming into class, and we're just praying that God's going to help him get over that. And I want to cry because I think 
they just have brought that love for children to our church. And then anytime we have a new baby, Penny always sends me a note. I just need the names of all the babies because I want to embroider a blanket with their name on it from Homestead. And she makes a blanket for every new baby at our church. They are literally bringing what is a very natural gift and allowing the Lord to use them. The Saubers. The Saubers have brought their spiritual gift of friendliness to Homestead and have practically invited half of the people in this church. I think when I met you, you said, I don't know, I was at the gym and some little lady invited me to church, right? <laughs> and so I said, oh, I know who you're talking about. It wouldn't seem like that's a very spiritual ministry gift, but think of the lives that have been changed because Lonnie and Rebecca Sauber just happen to talk to everybody that they meet. And they always invite them to church. I'm giving you examples because I don't want you to disqualify your very natural gift. Neil, I know you cook. I'm going to figure out a way to get that going. We are going to find ways that every single one of us can bring all of our natural abilities. Because God is going to do something phenomenal. And it's not an accident that you're a part of this body and a part of this community. And if you're willing to bring what's in your hand, you might be thinking, this is just purple linen. But I promise you, the person who ran back to their tent and grabbed purple linen and brought it in must have thought, that's not much. But when they brought it all together, that's when something phenomenal happens. When normal, everyday people who give what's in their hands to God, he does something phenomenal. I want to wrap up today by looking at Exodus chapter 36, verses 2 through 7. Moses summoned Bezalel and Oliab and all the others who had specifically been specific, eh, who were specially gifted by the Lord and were eager to get to work. Moses gave them all the materials donated by the people of Israel as sacred offerings for the completion of the sanctuary. But the people continued to bring additional gifts each morning. Finally, the craftsmen who were working on the sanctuary left their work. They went to Moses and reported, The people have given more than enough materials to complete the job the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command, and this message was sent throughout the camp. Men and women, don't prepare any more gifts for the sanctuary. We have enough. So the people stopped bringing their sacred offerings. Their contributions were more than enough to complete the whole project. Can you imagine if we were like, y'all, just stop giving us so much money. We just have so much, we, don't, we can't even spend it. Or guys, I know you want to volunteer. We just don't even have enough spaces for all the volunteers. What if that was our story? What if that was what was happening? That's what happened here. The people were so all in with this community and helping build this project that it got to the point where they're like, okay, enough, 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 stop. Because they had more than enough to do everything God had put on their hearts to do. That only happens when we all have that sense inside that we are building something together, that we're all in it together, that we're going to bring whatever is in our hand to use. I love it, not because they had so many gifts, not because, wow, that's awesome that they had so much stuff. What I love about this is the spirit of eagerness of the people in that moment. Can you just tell how excited they are? Can you, they're just like, what, could you take this? Could you have this? What about that? 
that's the spirit that I want us to have. What can I do? Put me in. I want to help. They're so in. They want to be a part of contributing to the tabernacle. There's so much ownership and commitment and excitement for what God is doing. That is what I want our church to feel like. That our staff and leaders aren't just scraping by, feeling like they're just having to beg people to help. Just hoping that we have enough volunteers. That our budget is not just hanging in on by a thread. Like, okay, I think we're going to make this month. I don't, there are a lot of churches that function that way. I don't want our church to function that way. I want us to have the resources that we need and that we can do incredible things as a church because there are resources available. Can you imagine what it would be like if we all had that idea? I want us to have that kind of spirit as a church, the ownership, the all-inness, the commitment, and the excitement. Here's the deal. As I wrote my title today for my message, I wrote, All Hands on Deck. All Hands on Deck. That's really where we are as a church. God is doing something here. It's been incredible to see the growth that is happening. But we all have to get in. All hands on deck. Heading into this fall, we need you. We need you. We put our volunteer form back up on the website and on the app. Sign up for a place to serve today. We have a backpack outreach going up, and even Stacy is handling that part. And she's, Christy, this is a very aggressive goal. <laughs> and I said, but I know we can do it. I know our church is going to step up. But we need everybody to step up. We need you to help. We need you to sign up for places to serve. We ask you to continue to be generous. As God provides for you, that you would be generous to support what God is doing here. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, it is so fun being a part of your church. God, we just, we're so honored that we get to be a part of the work that you are doing here on the earth. You are the very best thing. You are better than we could ever imagine. And Lord, there are people walking around this community who have no idea how good and faithful and fun and exorbitantly loving you are. And we are here to let them know. And God, we thank you that you have placed us here. And Lord, we are, we know you are building your church. You are. You've brought the right people in. You've brought the right resources in. You know every gift, every talent, every person who is a part of this church. And Lord, today, we just want to have open hands to say, God, whatever I have, you can use. I thank you, Lord, that collectively as a community, Father, we can do so much more than we could ever do together. And so we're asking Jesus, give us, first of all, wisdom and insight as to what's needed. Lord, just as you downloaded that list to Moses and he came down and said, here's what we need. God, give us the clarity to know exactly what our needs are, the next right steps for our church, the things to do and the things to pause on. Lord, may we always have wisdom and discernment. But Father, we also pray that when you speak, that we would all be very quick to just be all in to help in any way we can, to run back to our tents and come back with our hands filled with everything that we have and then to put our hands to work to create whatever it is you've called us to do in the next season. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being your church.
We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Thanks for being here today. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.